Lucic is working him over here. Lucic pulls him back. Another uppercut. Throw in the towel. It's a mercy killing. Listening to the Spoke Beat Podcast. Now here are your hosts, Zach Weiner, Jesse Gauss, and Andrew Cox. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to the first live edition of the Spoke Beat Podcast. I'm Andrew Cox. We've got Jesse Gauss joining us and our uh, producer Jonathan here in the studio helping making everything go well tonight. Zach could not make it, unfortunately. So we are flying as a twosome tonight instead of a, uh, you know, the three amigos, as uh, people have said. So, uh, Jesse, how are you doing tonight? It's been a long week, man. I'm tired, and I think I'm starting to get sick, but hopefully this will make me feel better. I've been looking forward to this all week. Yeah, we've had some things uh, happen this week that we didn't really get to uh, do our normal schedule, but... You know, you adapt and adjust and make the best of whatever you can do. And uh, for all the Boston fans out there, I'm sure you're learning right now that Mookie Betts did not win the MVP for, uh, you know, the major leagues uh, today. So let's hope we can cheer them up and give them a good Bruins show. And, well, the Bruins have been doing some things the last few days that have caught the not only the city of Boston's attention, but the whole NHL's attention. They're starting to play good hockey, and it's kind of unfamiliar territory due to the last few years where we've been. And uh, if you want to get into a little bit, Jesse, uh, we can start breaking down the games. And it's been a uh, very good stretch this week, to say the least. Yeah, I've been very encouraged with what I've seen. I mean, for all the questions that the defense has faced going into the year, I mean, they've played pretty well, I would say. And a lot of that, we've talked about this at nauseum, so I won't hit on this too much, but a lot of that has to do with you know, Brandon Carlo playing really well. Zidane Chara looking not like the 2011 Zidane Chara, but he's he's looked a lot better than he has the last two years. And, I mean, if you want to start breaking down the games, I guess we should start with where we left off with Montreal. So they lost 3-2, to two and uh, Zane McIntyre played that one. It was I think it was only his second career start, and it was a lot better than the Rangers game. Uh, where he let up the five goals right the night after he had to come in for Malcolm Subban against the Wild. So, you know, we've also talked about this a lot. And, I mean, the Bruins always lose to Montreal. It's just you've been able to say that since the freaking, like, 1920s when both teams, you know, came into the NHL. So, really, who does that surprise? Um, but it was a good game. I mean, the Bruins really outplayed them for a lot of the game. They put up, I think it was, like, 43 shots on goal. And they really outplayed Montreal for most of the game. And, of course – those games are usually always competitive. So one bad bounce, and of course it goes in favor of the Canadians. So, I mean, that's really not a surprise. But then they ripped off a couple of really impressive victories, most of them coming at home. One was against Buffalo. Um, it was a 3 nothing shutout, and Rask got that one. So, and I mean, we've also, you know, we've said this a lot too, that he's been playing really well. And in this stretch, um, he had another two shutouts. So, I mean, now he's tied for uh, the league lead in wins with 10. He's got three shutouts, and he is in the top five in save percentage among starting goalies. So, I mean, he's having a really good bounce-back year. 
Yeah, and well, I thought that just to, uh, as far as everyone else is concerned, I mean, we had guys like Matt Bolesky and Tory Krug, who we've talked about on the show, as starting slow. They got into uh, the scoring act against Columbus, so now they're off the schneid. So maybe their play picks back up. Yeah, and one thing I want to note on the Montreal game, it, it really bothered me. I talked to my brother, who's a uh, huge Bruins fan as well, and he said, what the hell, why didn't Tuca play that game? You got one of the hottest goalies going against, you know, the the best team in the NHL. Why wouldn't you play that? Why would you put McIntyre in that game and not the Columbus game? And, again, we all know what happened in the Columbus game, one five two. 5 2 Tuca played great. But it, it's mind-boggling. That seems like that might be the only mistake Julian's made all year, if not, you know, maybe the whole way he handled the Subban uh, situation when Tuca went down. But why didn't he play in that Montreal game is my question. And the the whole concept is Tuca's played out of his mind. And you play him against Columbus. You play him against Arizona. You get him games against not-so-good teams in the NHL, and then you don't play them against Montreal, your rival, the team that's in first place, you're chasing them down, and hell, you're knocking on the door in the standings. Surprisingly enough, you're knocking on the door behind Montreal for the standings. So that was the only thing that I took as a negative this week, is why the hell did two could not play? And uh, if, if, you know, piggyback off of what you said too, Bolesky, he looked good in that Columbus game. It's about time he had a good game. And Tory Krug stepped up and played a phenomenal game that game. You know, we, we talked last week how he, he didn't have a very good stretch for a few games. But you know what? It's still early in the season. Things change and, and players adapt. And he's really stepped it up the last few games and becoming that, that guy that I really think could be a top two defenseman on this team. So those uh, those two games really started the, the week off decent. You know, you had the tough, heartbreaking loss, which you're you know used to... Seeing against Montreal, you bounced back, did a great job against Columbus. You made sure everything went the way you were supposed to. But Arizona was a little tougher than I think people said, you know, thought it would be. Rask uh, had to make a lot of big saves. And Claude Julian was really high on the defense after that game. And, and we've hit on it so many times. This defense isn't a defense that you look at and be like, this is a Stanley Cup defense. It's, it's not. And they're adjusting. They're learning how to play together, which is great. But when Rask had to make 30 saves against an Arizona team that's not known for scoring a lot of goals, it was it was scary. And uh, he, he was 7 minutes and 55 seconds away from a shutout. And, uh, you know, you can't beat that kind of performance that he put up against Arizona to win a big game. Yeah, I, I mean, the Arizona game in a way kind of reminded me of the Florida game earlier in the year because, I mean, they didn't score. I mean, Florida scored with about like maybe four minutes to go and Rask was playing really well. Arizona scored with about seven and Rask was well on his way to a shutout or at least that's how it looked. But like I, I caught parts of that game and it kind of looked like the Coyotes, at least from what I saw, really didn't get things going until the third period. So, you know, when you when you got a guy like Tuka Rask who is playing out of his mind – I mean, you're. I, I feel very confident in the Bruins right now. Like I feel like I, if Rask is in goal, they've got a chance to win every night. And that's you know you, you kind of that's kind of how I felt going back to like the Stanley Cup year against Chicago, and even really the next year when they won the President's Trophy. Whenever he was in there, you just felt confident that he was going to be able to deliver. And it, it just feels like we're back to that. And I mean, I know we're only 
you know, we're like a month and a half into the season and things can change very quickly. I mean, I, I've said it myself that I'm kind of waiting for Brandon Carlo to hit a wall. I'm not necessarily waiting for Rask to hit a wall because he's a proven veteran, but I'm kind of waiting for the defense to have one of those games where it's like, okay, now we've reverted back to the defense that we were the last couple of years. And we haven't really seen that. I mean, they, they, they pitched a shutout the next night uh, against the avalanche. That was their last game uh, last Sunday night. Um, and I mean, Rask played that night too. And I, I thought that was kind of an interesting choice because the avalanche and the coyotes really are, are teams that really aren't that good. And especially the, the avalanche are missing Matthew Shane, who's such a huge part of their offense. You would have thought that McIntyre would have gotten one of those starts, but Rask got them both. So to kind of go back to the Montreal thing, I, I thought it was interesting that Rask didn't play in that game. Cause you would have figured that, that Rask would play, you know, against the Canadians. I know his numbers aren't good. Um, and then McIntyre would have played one of those weekend games, but you know, uh, such as life, I suppose. And Rask got the shutout against the Avalanche. And he really didn't have to do a whole lot. He only stopped 20 shots. So credit the Bruins defense. I mean, again, I just said it. I know that, you know, the Avalanche don't have a very good offense without Matthew Shane, but you know, 20 shots is 20 shots. So if he's stopping them all, you know, that's a good sign. So we're looking at a team right now that's 10 and six is heading into a game in about uh, an hour and a half against the wild. And I don't want to say that's a revenge game necessarily, but they beat the crap out of you. The last time, you know, you played against them, it was on home ice. It was the Malcolm Subban game. And uh, I think they lost, I think it was five to two was the final there. So uh, by all indications, I think I saw this morning that Rask was the first goalie off the ice at the morning skate. So I, I, I would assume that means he's going to start. So, you know, we might be we might be singing a different song at the end of tonight. Yeah. So we'll see what happens. I, re- I really hope Rask, you know, does get that start. He he's our workhorse. He's the guy that we all know and and come to love. You know, in the off season there was a lot of hate towards him, and we're gonna get into that here in a little bit. But I, I just I love the way he's stepped up and he's looked like the veteran leader. You know, he, he's a goalie, so goalies are hard to come by as, you know, leaders. They're not the guys that are out there being vocal in, you know, when when the timeout's called or in between breaks. Yeah, they go get water, but it's not normally the, you know, they're not the flashy guys talking a lot. So being a goalie, the way he leads and the way he he does his stuff is uh, with big saves and and standing tall with a not-so-great defense. And he's done a phenomenal job with that defense. And what, you know, you said earlier – Carlos looked phenomenal, and it's been impressive. But the, you know, the whole song and dance was okay. We need to get a defenseman so that we, when we try to make a playoff run, we have that guy that can help lead this team and, and be a number one or number two defenseman. Well, now we're a, a number one or number two defenseman from becoming a legitimate Eastern Conference contender. I, I really do believe the way the forwards have played. Krejci's starting to look like he's healthy. It's it's starting to you know play out that way Bergeron's he's you know what you're going to get from Bergeron day in and day out so those are are big guys Spooner's looked a lot better I was tracking fantasy hockey rosters and and players to add and Spooner was the most added player the last week and all the professionals and the experts were writing the number one guy you need to put on your pickup list if he hasn't been picked up in your league which he should be is Ryan Spooner and that's I guess very a very good sign when you got the experts of fantasy hockey saying that Ryan Spooner's on the verge of a breakout. So I'm very excited for that and, and what's to come there. But 
my biggest concern, and, and I guess it's all over the league, and again, we're going to get into this a little bit later on as well, but the injury bug, it, it seems like every team is getting bit by it. I know big division teams have lost players. I, I can go through when I do my power rankings and list at least one player they've lost in the last week because a lot of teams in the division are losing. But I think we lost and we may have lost. I don't know how long he's going to be out, but we lost one of our top three players from this season, if not our top player besides Tuka Rask. And uh, I know you were talking a little bit more about it earlier, Jesse. You want to go ahead and tell the listeners out there you know, what's going on with David Pasternak? So he's not going to, oh, I just heard my voice echo. That's weird. Anyway, um, he's not going to play tonight. Uh, the Bruins didn't really give any specifics on his injury, which kind of pisses me off in a way because they're starting to turn into the Patriots with that. But um, they're saying he was day to day and he didn't practice yesterday and that it didn't really seem like it was much to worry about, but now he's not going to play tonight. So obviously it's a little bit more serious than we were led to believe. So there's your first line right winger that's gone. And I don't know what the lines look like as of this moment, but I know that I saw yesterday in practice that Riley Nash had stepped up on the, uh, on the first line on the right wing. So he could be your first line right winger tonight. And he started to play well, too. And you, you mentioned this um, with Krejci looking better. And I think a lot of that has to do with David Backus being on his line. And, you know, we, we said it earlier in the season that Krejci wasn't playing with NHL talent necessarily. I mean, he was playing with Danton Heinen for a while. Who I mean, I, I was high on in the preseason, but he hadn't really done a whole lot in the regular season. And Spooner was struggling. But now because I think Krejci is starting to find his form, uh, Spooner's starting to get more involved in the act. And, you know, I mentioned Riley Nash just a minute ago. He's been playing better. Bolesky's been playing better. And you know what it all comes to? It's Jimmy Hayes. We gave Jimmy Hayes a lot of crap, and rightfully so. And he's been demoted to the fourth line uh, because of the uh, the Nolachari injury. So because he's no longer on that third line, Bolesky and, and Nash have started to play better. And, I mean, what does that say about Jimmy Hayes? I mean, it basically says that he sucks, and we've kind of we've kind of known that for a while, but this kind of just validates it. Yeah, I was looking up lines, and everywhere I'm seeing it, it's saying Marshan, Bergeron, and Nash on that first line: Spooner, Krejci, Backus, Bolesky, Moore, uh, Austin Zarnick, and and Jimmy Hayes, Schaller, and Curley on that uh, fourth line with uh, defensive pairs: Char and Carlo, Krug, McQuaid, Morrow, and uh, John Michael Lyles. And it looks Morrow's like, in tonight. That's interesting. And it looks like Tuca is uh, in that. That's what I'm seeing all over Twitter. It's not 100%, but that's what they're saying. Uh, a few sites on Twitter say those are what to expect tonight. So that could be interesting to see what that is all about. Uh, you know, Pasta's a guy you, you couldn't afford to lose. He's been your, your catalyst on offense. He's scoring goals like it's, you know, nothing out there. And he's making it look easy. And that's... Uh, that's all you can ask for from the kid. You know, a lot of people saying, oh, where does he fit in on this team? Is he a first-line guy? Is he a second-line guy? Or is he? can you put him on the third line? And he's proved himself, I think, on that top line this year. And I think he's helped out Marshan and Bergeron. Brad Marshan getting that big contract, It's you know he, he's produced, but not on that first game level. Pasta's done it from game one. So I, I like what that line brought, and it's going to really hurt him not being there. And... For us, not knowing how long he's actually out really is – it makes you start thinking, like, could he be out longer than we actually think? 
So yeah, see, this is what concerns me because I mean, not to jump different sports, but like right now, Al Horford is out with concussion for the Celtics. And when that first happened, we kind of thought that it wasn't going to be all that long. We thought he was progressing well, and then he's missing games. Like he missed the game last night against the Mavericks. He's not going to play later in the week. So, you know, it's one of those things where, you know, you just when when that's one of your best players that are going down, it's kind of, you know, it's very concerning. I mean, Pasternak, you said it is in like the top five in goals scored and throughout the league. I mean, Patrick Laine from the uh, from the Jets leads all scorers with 12 goals. But Pasternak's right behind him. He's got 10. So he's your leading goal scorer. He's your first line right winger. He's a guy that if you're trying to win games. He's not a guy that you want to lose long term. They can probably get away with losing him for at least one game. But, I mean, if it's any more than, like, you know, three, four games or whatever, they're, you know, they're going to be in trouble if he's out a while. Yeah, I I completely agree. You know, Riley Nash is one of those guys that he's young, unproven. Now he's skating with the big dogs up on the top line, so... I'm uh, I'm intrigued to see what he can do, but it it makes me a little nervous because you, you sat there and you know we've got defensemen we can't lose we we can't lose our goalie we've lost Tuka already this year for a few games we saw what happened you know we've got six losses for the team total and I think Tuka's got one of those if I'm not yeah it's the one against the Rangers uh, from like a week and a half or two weeks ago whatever that whatever the game was in Boston that they played that yes. was the one that he lost yeah so. Uh, if you look at that, that's you know you couldn't afford to lose one of your goalies, and you saw what happened when you did. So now losing one of your top scorers, let's hope it doesn't have the same effect because you haven't seen one of those guys in the second or third line be able to pop up in that first line spot. And that's a little questionable too. Why they're bringing Riley Nash up there and putting him on that line instead of uh, the other uh, guys on the lines like Backus or even a Spooner? So I'm. I'm interested to see what Riley Nash can do up there. Hopefully he can put some uh, pucks in the back of the net because we need that to replace Pasta. He's He's been such an integral part of this offense. And uh, let's just hope it's not a, uh, a long-term injury. Now, I want to continue and, uh, and talk about we've won seven of our last nine games, and that's where we've gotten so high in the standings. And I think we can both agree on this, that Tuka's the main reason we're, we're in all of these games. Oh, no doubt. And my biggest concern is not, not his injury, but can he keep this pace playing the games he's playing? He's playing a lot of games, but he's facing a lot of shots. Yes, the Colorado game, he only faced 20 shots, got the shutout. But, you know, when you're facing 30 two nights before against Arizona, and I think he faced like 35 in the Columbus game— He's facing a lot of shots, playing a lot of games because you really don't have a reliable backup. Can that? Can he keep this pace up, or is it going to be towards March, April when things start to kind of fizzle off and uh, and and kind of fade away? Yeah, I mean, look, this team is primed for another late season collapse as it's ever been. I mean, because it's happened two years in a row, and you're not exactly running out the same team there, but the core is for the most part still there. And I mean. You know, you hope it's not one of those things where, like, we say this in baseball when a manager runs out of reliever so much early in the year and then they burn out midway through. Like, I hope that doesn't happen to Frask because he's been so good. And if they if they want to get to the playoffs, they need him well-rested. And that's been the problem the last two years. He's had to play 70-plus games in the last two years because he hasn't had a capable backup to give him rest. And that's what we kind of hoped 
uh, Anton Hudobin was, but he's been out for the last couple of weeks and, you know, he's been okay. I mean, he played well against Montreal, despite the fact that, you know, he gave up four goals at Toronto game. He played not so much, but, you know, McIntyre was good in his last start against Montreal. So, you know, you might have something there. I mean, he's a kid and, you know, whatnot, but, you know, they, they just need somebody. I don't care who it is at this point, whether it's Udobin, whether it's McIntyre, whether it ends up being Malcolm Subban, which at this point looks like a gigantic long shot. They just need somebody to get in there from time to time and just steal them a game or two while Rask gets his rest. Because like I just said, if they want to get to the playoffs, they need Rask to be healthy. Yeah, and I, I like that word you use, steal, because we don't have enough confidence in those backups to, to put it out there and be like, oh, they're going to win this game. You know, the Montreal game, still mind-boggling to me, you know, to understand why you throw a young kid in that situation out there. But maybe you're trying to steal one. I don't know. Doesn't that seem like a John Farrell decision? It does seem like a John Farrell decision, to be honest with you. You know, running out of uh, options, and why don't you just I hate to keep mixing sports up here, but, I mean, the references are just right in front of me. Yeah, no, so that's a – it's a very good comparison. And, you know – we probably do a poll out there. Who is the you know the the hardest coach to watch in the entire city of Boston in the state of Massachusetts? And I I think you'd have very uh, big uh, numbers for Farrell and Julian. I don't think Belichick will get any votes, and Brad Stevens may get a few, but I don't think many. I think the the two that make the the most uh, iffy decisions are, are those two, and I, I don't know who would win out of that one to be honest with you. So. Yeah, just real real quick, since we're talking about this, I don't want to get too far off the off topic here, but the thing with Julian is, and I, I've been a Julian supporter, and I, I was totally okay with him coming back this year. I, I just feel like he's embraced the youth movement, because how many times have we talked about this where we've seen Brandon Carlo in at the end of games? How many times have we seen David Posternock in at the end of games? That's not something that he would have done with a more veteran team. Like we, We've said it before that like he's put Chris Kelly in there, in crucial crucial situations when like they're down a goal, he's rolling his fourth line out there, and like that blows my mind. But now, I mean, you know, he's kind of forced to if you think about it, because I mean, look at the amount of young kids that are on this team. There's Carlo, there's Pasternak, there's Austin Zarnick, there's Nolachari. He really has no choice but to play them. But when he's playing these young kids, they're performing, and so that's what's really encouraging. So I think you know we should give credit where it's due. I think Julian has done a really good job with what he's been handed. I agree, and and here's the thing. I wanted to kind of start transitioning into this topic anyways. We talked earlier about uh, you know the end of the first month and, and what this team's identity is, and I'll be honest with you, I still don't know what this team's identity is. We talked about t- first 10 games. What did this team have to do? We both said 5-5. Five and five. You start off 5-5, five and five, you've got yourself a good start. Well, you're 10-6. and six. You're, you're right on pace with that 5-5 five and five start. Where, you know, do you accredit the success so far to this season? You know, you can say one guy, you can say a group of guys, leadership. Where do you, Jesse, see this team without this person or what, without the moves that, that maybe this person made? Where, what's, where's the credit coming from you uh, for this team? I mean, I'm going to sound so much like Captain Obvious here, and this is probably going to be everybody's pick. Number one, it's Tuka Rask because without him, they're under 500. They're, and they're, there's just no there's no debate. And then the other one is Brandon Carlo. And I say that because, A, he's been fantastic so far. The kid's only 19 years old, and he's been that shutdown defenseman that the Bruins have been looking for 
since they got rid of Johnny Boychuk. So, you know, he's been he's been excellent. And I mean, the other one, you know, you you could look at David Posternock, who's been really the catalyst offensively. I mean, a lot of guys got off to slow starts. Bergeron had kind of started slow when he came back from his injury. Uh, Marshan got off to a hot start, but has kind of cooled down recently. So, I mean, it's it's those three for me. It really is. And I mean, we talk so much about this defense and how, you know, Don Sweeney didn't improve it over the offseason. But I mean, Carlo has just been such a welcomed addition. And it doesn't obviously this defense doesn't look like, you know, the 2011 defense that won the Stanley Cup. And, you know, a couple of years after that. But, you know, if they get one more piece in there you know, that's proven. I mean, you said it earlier, we could be talking about an Eastern conference contender and I hate to get so high on that right now because I mean, let's look, let's face it. The teams they beat last week really aren't good. I want to see what they can do against a really good team like Montreal or the Rangers. And so far they've kind of fell on their face when it comes to games like that. So I got to see this against better competition. And then I think that's kind of when we can really judge what their identity is because you, you said you don't know what their identity is. I don't really think I know either. I mean, because they've got a weird mix of young guys and older guys. I mean, like Char is like 80,000 years old <laughs> and, you know, Carlos 19, like those two are playing together. There's a 20 year gap in between that. So it's just, it's just an odd team to me, but you know, we'll see what happens right now. They're playing well and you know, there's, there's, you can't ask for much more than what they're doing right now. Yeah, and that's what I'm going to say. I, I would definitely go with you on the Tuca subject. You know, he has been the catalyst to this team. But I'm going to go on a different route. And a guy that we all dogged at some point in the uh, you know beginning of the season, and that was the decisions of Don Sweeney. You know, We sit there and, and say, why didn't he go out and get, get a defenseman? Why did he do this? Why did he do that? There's a lot of talk this offseason that they were looking to move Krejci and they were looking to move Rask. He didn't move either one of them, and he still improved the forwards, I think, without doing that. So I like that he believed in Tuca, kept Tuca around, and we all see where we are now with Tuca. So that's big. And then the whole Krejci thing. Krejci's starting to finally come back into it. He, he battled that injury. I don't think he was 100% healthy to begin the season, and I still am not sold that he's 100% yet. So that's, that's uh, you know, I, I wanted to credit Don Sweeney. But I think the biggest thing he deserves credit for is he said the defense will be fine. Don't worry about it. And he didn't go out and improve it. I, I think Brandon Carlo might be one of the biggest improvements you could have done on the defense. And he's 19 years old. So he's, he's a cheap option. He can start to get playing time on the first line minutes. And he can be your big name defenseman in a few years. And he doesn't look bad. So I, I think Sweeney realizing what he had in the farm system may have helped. Maybe it's not much in the farm system, but with at least Carlo, knowing that you have him and these other kids that you got in the uh, the minor leagues and the over uh, in the OHL or wherever you know they may be in juniors, I think he knows his farm system a little better than we had anticipated. And I truly think he knows what this future brings for this team. So I, I really got to give my hat off to Don Sweeney right now. This team's a, a playoff team right now. And nobody expected that to begin this season. So uh, we got a lot more to talk about. We're going to take a quick 30-second commercial break from one of our sponsors, the Downriver Downlow, a sister show of ours. We're going to take this commercial. We're going to come back. We got uh, a really good story about a former 
uh, player of ours and how he's recovering and, and dealing with life after hockey, as well as I've got my power rankings and the injury bug is going around the league, and it's taking some big names hostage. You're listening to the Spoked Bee Podcast. I'm Jonathan Chance. And I'm Andrew Cox. And we are from the Down River Down Low. You can hear us live every Monday night at 6.30 p.m. Also, be sure to like us on Facebook, The Down River Down Low. And follow us on Twitter at DRDL14. You also can hear us archived on Facebook or Twitter, also on Podbean. You won't regret it, so make sure you check us out. You're listening to the Spoke Bee Podcast. I'm Andrew Cox, alongside Jesse Gaunt. Zach Weiner could not join us tonight, and we've got John Schantz in the studio mixing and producing and doing everything else for us that we can't handle and do today. So thank you, John. Thank you, Jesse, for joining me. Again, we've got a interesting segment coming up here, so uh, I can't wait to, t- to talk about this. And as I tease going into the break, our... You know, team over the years has changed. We all know that. We all have a special relationship with some players. Maybe we can't let go of that that love for them. And you all know we have a a dying love for a certain uh, former Bruin. And I'm going to let Jesse take the floor on this one. After Jesse came to me and, and said something to me earlier, he goes, hey, I've got a really cool story for you. I don't want to tell you much because I want you to hear it. But it's about a former Bruin that we all love and his road to be able to survive and cope with the toll that hockey has done on his life. And we all know what it, it's done to him and how he handles it in his after-hockey life. So, Jesse, I'm going to let you take the floor. You've got the, the mic. You've got everything. Go ahead and tell everyone out there what I'm talking about here. So we're talking about uh, an instrumental piece uh, to the Bruins who really helped bring them back to respectability in the late 2000s, and that's Mark Savard. So Mark Savard is, if you follow us on Facebook or Twitter, he's our cover photo on both, and for good reason. He was one of my favorite Bruins uh, heading into you know this decade and the Stanley Cup years. And even when they signed him, I think it was 2006, they signed him and Zdeno Char simultaneously. And I remember being really excited about it. And, you know, he was, you know, he wasn't a, a superstar by any means. He did make two all-star teams. But he was just that consistent player who you knew every night he was going to be on the ice and he was going to be working hard. He was going to be doing whatever he had to do to make sure his team won. And, you know, his career, well, it didn't end with the Matt Cook hit, but that's kind of what started everything. So uh, I think it was March 22nd, somewhere somewhere in late March of 2010, uh, he took that dirty hit to the head by Matt Cook and it gave him a concussion. It knocked him out. For the rest of the regular season, he came back in the second round against the Flyers in 2010. He scored that uh, overtime goal in Game One, and I can't—I know the Bruins lost that series, and you know it was kind of one of the uh, biggest chokes of all time. But I still watch highlights from that game and just get so excited and so happy when I watch that Mark Savard goal because just the—you could see it on his face too if you go back and watch the replay of that goal, like just how happy and excited he was, and that just got me so fired up, and it still does. 
So that kind of, you know, all rounds back into what I read today. So there's a story in the Boston Globe. Uh, it came out today about what he's doing right now. So he is uh, living in Canada with his family, and he is coaching his son's, I think it's double-A hockey team. I, I forget exactly how the how it works up there with, the with you know, peewee hockey, whatever you want to call it. Um, but he's he's coaching. Um, I mean, he, it looks like he put on a little weight, but you know, the, who am I to really judge anybody? But um, he's coaching. He's still dealing with some concussion symptoms. He says now he has panic attacks, uh, which all stem from the Matt Cook hit. And but for the most part, he's he's pain free and all that stuff. But like, what really makes the story go is he talks about you know what happened after that hit and you know, the days leading up to when he was coming back. And there's a part in there where he talks about how much of a jackass he was like to his wife and stuff like that. And people were saying that he was becoming insufferable to deal with. And, you know, I've never had a concussion in my life, so I, I don't know, you know, how much of a grueling process that is to come back from. But I mean, he's had multiple concussions. I think he's had like anywhere between four and six. I don't remember the exact number, but when you have that many concussions in your career, I mean, it's it's not easy to come back from one, let alone that many. So I just thought, you know, that was really like he got detailed, which, you know, not a lot of athletes do. And they also had quotes from uh, Zdeno Chara and Patrice Bergeron saying, you know, how much they miss him and how tough it was to watch him, uh, you know, go through that. And then one of the other parts of the story that I thought was really interesting, the hit that ended his career was in January of the 2010-2011 season, so the year they won the Stanley Cup, uh, by Matt Hunwick. They were playing the Avalanche. I believe it was in Colorado, and uh, Hunwick hit him along the boards. And one of the things I remember reading that Savard said was that he felt like he was dying and that his eyes were open, but he couldn't see anything. And, that, I mean, again, I've never had a concussion, but, like, just the thought of that, like, it literally made me cringe. And I was reading that at my desk at work, and I kind of let out an Ooh, that sucks. And people kind of looked at me like I was an idiot. But, I mean, it's just, you know, I, I just felt so bad for him. And it just makes me feel even worse now because he could have still been playing. I mean, he's under contract with the Devils right now. But, I mean, obviously he's never going to play again. He hasn't played since that 2011 game. So, you know, I, I'm just I'm just glad to see that, you know, he's he's doing well because – you know, we see what concussions do to players across all sports. I mean, especially in like the NFL, like that's a big, big topic. You know, players are killing themselves and, you know, doing all kinds of crazy stuff. And you just hope that that doesn't happen to him. So, you know, if you got a chance to check it out, uh, it's in the Boston Globe. It should be, I mean, it's online, so it'll, it'll be there forever. So if you have a, an online subscription to the Globe, you should definitely go in and read it. It's a long article, but it's definitely worth your time. Yeah, that was a great, uh, great find by you, Jesse. And I think what we can do for our listeners out there is we can put it on our Facebook, we can put it on our Twitter, and uh, we can make sure they uh, they get to see that or at least get the link to that. So, uh, and, and I guess this would be a good time to put it out there. If you want, we obviously want you to, go check out our Facebook and our Twitter pages, and uh, you won't be disappointed with what you find. Follow us, like us. Do all that fun stuff. You will always get a link whenever we go live. So that's one good thing about that. As well as we're always on there just chatting about the Bruins. We're going to start doing live game updates here within the next week when we get things worked out a little bit more. So if you're on Twitter, follow us at the Spoked B 
Pod. You can find us uh, all on there or the Spoked Bee Podcast on Facebook. Make sure you like it, share it, follow us, do whatever you do in the, in the social media world. Just make sure you do it. So um, that that was key. And, and again, great work, Jesse, finding that. That was a phenomenal story. And it's great to see that he, he understands, like, there's life after. And he, he, he battled. A lot of people battle, uh, you know, after suffering severe injuries. There's guys who suffer knee injuries that are just – they, they start losing their mind. So could you imagine actually having a serious injury to your head and not being able to do something? It, it, it's like two, two, two bad things happen to your head at one, one time, and it's not good. It's not a good recipe for uh, anybody that hasn't had a concussion. So, and, and multiple concussions just really could ruin your life. So a great piece right there. So what we're going to do is I'm going to get into a little bit. Uh, we you know We're talking about injuries. This league, uh, this league's suffering some big injuries, and especially in the last week or two. And uh, for for the Bruins and Bruins fans out there, you're you're looking at them like, okay, some uh, division opponents and rivals are suffering some big injuries, and and this could be detrimental to their team's success. But as a sports fan, you never want to see anybody get injured, especially big superstars in the league. And I, I guess we can start with the biggest name, and that's Steven Stamkos. Today it was announced he did tear a ligament in his leg the other day against Detroit. He is out four to six months. He's going to undergo surgery, and that's a huge blow for Tampa. Tampa, you looked at their their team last year. They they had a good run. Stamkos was out until Game 7 of the Eastern Conference Semifinals, I believe, or is it the Finals, Eastern Conference Finals, Game 7 against the uh, Penguins. So he did show up that game, but... He was out for the entire season with the blood clots in his lung. And then two years ago, he broke his leg. So this is three straight years at Tampa Bay. has been without Stamkos. So you see they've got a very deep team. They're going to be there. But losing Stamkos this time, I think, really hurts you. Uh, he's your leader. So that's one big injury. Uh, a, a minor injury. But for this team, it could be deeper than, than just a minor injury. And that's Darren Helm of the Detroit Red Wings. In that same game the other night against Tampa, he uh, suffered some sort of lower body injury, and he is out indefinitely. So they have called up uh, Tyler Bertuzzi, nephew of Todd Bertuzzi, for his second stand-up in the league this year, as well as they called up their top prospect, Anthony Mantha. So they, they've got three of their top prospects in Larkin, Mantha, and Bertuzzi all skating up uh, with the big club. They're a team that's in there from with the Bruins, 2-5, to 2-6, who actually have a good chance of competing in this uh division behind Montreal. So that's another one to watch out for. In the Western Conference, you've got Taylor, or sorry, Eastern Conference, you still have uh, Taylor Hall with New Jersey. He's out three to four weeks with an injury. And then in the Western Conference, you've got Johnny Hockey, Johnny Goudreau. He suffered a really nasty, nasty broken finger the other day in a a slash. And I'll be honest with you, playing hockey for 21 years, that was one of the nastiest slashes I've ever seen. You can see him on the bench, and we got a not safe for work uh, video that I can share on the on the Facebook page as well. But you hear you hear him just cussing up a storm about the damn slash he took and how it was bullshit and all this stuff. So he was not happy. It was nasty. The pinky was just it, it was gross. So uh, it was not as bad as what happened in that UFC fight the other day when the girl got her ear punched off. But it was pretty close to being that nasty. So uh, Jesse, you want to? Talk about any of those uh, injuries real quick. So I think this the Stamkos one is the most significant. I mean, when you look at it, 
we everyone thought that Tampa was going to be a Stanley Cup contender before the year started. And, I mean, they've been kind of treading water even with Stamkos. But now it just gets a whole lot worse without him in there. And, I mean, at what point do we look at Stamkos and say that he's just injury prone? I mean, I know the blood clots really aren't his fault. But, you know, you said it. It's three straight years now that he's been out for a lengthy period of time. And, I mean, if the Lightning want to contend, I don't care how deep their team is. They're going to need Stamkos. And right now, I mean, the Bruins, surprisingly, I, I can't believe I'm saying this, but the Bruins are better than, than them right now. And they, they beat them earlier in the season. I mean, I know I went to a shootout and it took freaking Jimmy Hayes to score the game winner. But, you know, that's a team right now that you can beat and that you're better than. And that opens the door for, you know, other teams in the Eastern Conference, too. I mean, you, you said this before the season started that you thought that the Ottawa Senators were going to be a surprise team. And they've been better than I thought they were going to be. So that's a team that could leapfrog the uh, the Lightning. And, I mean, Detroit has been up and down. Um, that's a team that, you know, if they get hot, I would be wary of. And you know, Florida has a ton of talent. And I know they're missing Jonathan Huberto. But that, that team is way too talented to be as bad as they are. So that's another team that could leapfrog you. So we're talking about four or five different teams that could be over the Lightning uh, by season's end. And like Stamkos is out, I think, what do they say? Four months, maybe longer. Yeah, four So we're in, no, we're in November right now. He's not coming back to like February or March, possibly even longer. So by that time, I mean, I don't think that the lightning are going to be out of it because again, they're so deep, but you know, that's, it's something to look out for. And also, you know, they've got a goalie controversy in a way because Andre Vasilevsky is the backup to Ben Bishop, but he's been out playing Bishop. So now you got that to worry about, too. So I, I don't think the wheels are going to fall off necessarily, but I wouldn't be shocked if the Lightning start to tumble down the standings. Yeah, and I was there in, uh, at the Red Wings uh, Lightning game the other night. Yeah, so it's your fault. The other night. I, I was there, and I, I watched that Tampa Bay team, and they're not what they used to be. And I hate to say they still have a lot of talent, but something's missing. I, I couldn't put my finger on it, what it was, but they just didn't look the same. And Stamkos played for half of that game, too. So I don't know what to take from this team. They, they got a fluky win, scored with a minute left to, to win 4-3. But I, I just don't know what's different with this team. But since we're talking about it, and you actually, the funny thing is you're, you're raking off these teams and saying things, and I'm getting ready to get in my power rankings, and literally you were saying words that I have for my breakdown of each team, which is kind of funny. And you had a pretty good order going with mine too so we're going to talk about my uh, power rankings real quick and uh, I'm going to do this probably every other week we're not going to do it every week because not a lot of teams that sometimes play three games in a week so I'm going to try to get at least six games in before I adjust these every uh, other week and, and I take a lot of things into account the way a team's played who they played their injuries they sustained because I did make a, a change to these after the Stamkos injury because I did prepare them on Tuesday for when we were going to record Tuesday, but I changed them up after that injury. I, I take a lot of things into account, but here are my rankings. You can agree to disagree, or you can uh, you know, always hop in. Jesse, what I'm going to do is I'm, I'm going to read them off, give reasons, and then we can just discuss them. So I've got Montreal as number one. We all know that. I, I said the best team in the league, if not the whole NHL. So that, that's, not, that's number one. Number two, I have the Bruins. I, I put some notes on I said, are they that this good? You know, nobody expected this, and Tuca is the man. That, that's another note. Without Tuca, 
you're not going anywhere. If you have Subban as your, your goalie that a lot of people thought when Tuca was being shopped in the offseason, that Malcolm Subban would be your starting goalie. The dude's crap. And now having the luxury of having Tuca, it's uh, you know two U's, two K's, two points. We've had a lot of those moments this year. So I like that. Uh, Boston's two. I moved Tampa to three. I had them flip-flop, but I moved Tampa to three right now. I'm not ready to write them off yet. I still think they're a, a team that's going to be a cream of the crop in the division, and if not, the, the league and the conference. But can they now sustain, or you know, after sustaining the Stamkos injury, can they stay afloat? What are they going to do? Are they going to go out and get a big-name guy or, or a complimentary forward to offset the Stamkos loss? Martin Hansel's name has been floated out there a lot from uh, Arizona, and I think he's going to be traded in the next few days. And, and I know the Bruins were in on him. They're talking about how they need a young second or third line NHL ready forward. And I was thinking Ryan Spooner meets that, but his hands will really an improvement there. But I think Tampa Bay now jumps in there too. So uh, I have Tampa Bay at three. I have Ottawa at four. Goalie is the key here. That is my note. And I say that because you heard the reports this week. They were shopping uh, the Hamburglar and uh, Andrew Hammond and we all know what's going on. I don't know if everybody knows, but I know what's going on with Craig Anderson. His, his wife was diagnosed with cancer a few weeks ago. and We, we know all these uh, cancer nights they're, they're doing around the league. Anderson's been on fire since she was diagnosed, and he's playing, I think, with a lot of adrenaline and a lot of uh, passion in his heart and his game. He stepped away for a minute and then came back said, you know what, I want to be with the team. And he, he's been phenomenal since she was diagnosed. So you're, you're pulling for him, but as a division rival, you're like, come on, you know, beat Ottawa. But you know, I, I think Craig Anderson's playing on a lot of adrenaline right now. I have the Red Wings at five. And, and taking the words out of my mouth, Jess, you said they're an up-and-down team. They're very streaky. They've got a lot, a lot of young talent. Now let's see how that young talent transitions to the NHL game. You got veterans like Henrik Zetterberg and Nicholas Cromwell that are slow. They're struggling to to produce on a nightly basis. So uh, they're old, but they're young, and they got to meet in the middle. And who's their starting goalie? I think Jimmy Howard's outplayed Peter Mrazek this year, but the, the Red Wings I think are in a, in a worse situation than the Bruins are on the defensive side, and that's saying a lot. So who's in front of the starting goalie and who is their starting goalie is the, the Red Wings' biggest keys. And uh, if they can change that, and get, they can get back to the top of this uh, power rankings very soon. I have the Florida Panthers after the Red Wings. I, I'm not sure of the identity of that team. I say I don't know the identity of our team. I don't know the identity of their team. They, they were the Eastern, uh, they were the Atlantic Division champions last year. And now that I have them at six, they're struggling. I know Hubro is out for the at least three to four months. That's a big loss. But you're not getting the goalie play you thought you were going to get. With James Reimer as your backup, you bring in a veteran backup behind a veteran goalie in Luongo. You split time or do 70-30, you should be in a very good position. And they're, they're not playing great. So that's, uh, I think Florida is one of those teams that's been a really big surprise on the bad side. I, I have seven. I have Buffalo. And I say this because Jack Eichel hasn't played yet. And if he's on this team, they very well could be a top three team in this division if Jack Eichel's playing all year. You've got Poso, You've got Matt Molson. You've got decent goalie play, too. So this Buffalo team, I, I, I want to say they're, they're not good. But with Eichel, I think it'd be a different story. I think they really would be towards the top of this division. And a division that's very jam-packed up the middle from two to seven. So I think Buffalo is, uh, is a lot better team than they've actually played to be this year. And Toronto, I have... Two simple words. 
They're too young. They're, they're, they're too young. I don't think they're ready to compete yet. Austin Matthews looks great, but if you figure him out, you shut down their whole team. Freddie Anderson hasn't looked great in the net, but again, they're a very young team. Nobody expected them to compete this year. So, uh, yeah, that's my power rankings. So, uh, Jesse, do you have any objections to any of that? Um, I would flip Ottawa and Tampa just because, I mean, the Stamco's injury is so significant, and you said it, Craig Anderson is playing absolutely out of his mind. So I think they should be three just because of that. I mean, we, we've yet to see Tampa play a game since Stamkos went down, so we're really not sure what that's going to look like. Um, but I just, I mean, goalie play in the NHL is really everything. We're seeing that with Tuka Rask. So I, I would give the nod to Ottawa there. And I'm not sure that I fully agree with the whole Buffalo thing. I mean, I didn't see anything from them when they played the Bruins um, – earlier in the week that really just stood out to me. They just looked slow. They didn't really look interested. I mean, probably they're 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 treading water until Eichel comes back. We kinda all know that. So yeah, that's gonna change once he gets back. I mean, obviously he's their best player. He's probably one of the ten best players in the NHL right now. Um so you know we'll see how they look when he gets back. And Toronto you're right. I mean they're too young but I kind of feel like Austin Matthews has been shut down a little bit. I mean, he had that four-goal game in the opener, and he's only scored two since. And, you know, I, I haven't watched a ton of Maple Leafs games, so I don't really know the whole story up there. But, I mean, you figure he's a number one pick, and he had such a good showing, and I guess maybe the expectations might have been a little too high. But they do have some guys on that team, you know, that are worth watching, like William Nylander and um, Mitch Marner. So, I mean, they, they've got some pieces you could probably make the argument to flip-flop um, Toronto and Buffalo, too. But, I mean, that's almost really not worth arguing because they're two of the worst teams in the league. Yeah, and, and like I said, when I take things into account, I look at things like that, and it's you know that was that was a tough one, 7-8. and eight. I just, banking off the fact that, again, I take injuries into it, if Eichel wasn't, if Eichel was playing, I, I feel they'd be better. But, no, I, I agree with you on the Ottawa-Tampa thing. I just got to see Tampa play a game first. So, um we're gonna we're getting close to the end of the the, the show. We've uh, been fifty minutes strong, so we're gonna try to make it an hour. But if not, it is what it is. Uh, we we got a Bruins game coming up in about an hour or so uh, against Minnesota. And as Jesse said, this is a uh, revenge game. It's one of those games you've got to make sure you come out and you can't be flat. And I think with Tuca and that, I think you can expect a very good showing. Now a, uh, a former Bruin, another former Bruin's name is in the news. Uh, trade rumors are flying around right now about this guy. and I know we were all pretty upset when he was traded. We couldn't figure out what the hell was going through the minds of the front office. But Dougie Hamilton up in Calgary, he got traded to Calgary, signed that big deal with them. His name has been floated around. If you look at the makeup of this team, if Dougie Hamilton's on this team, where do you see this defense? So, uh, you know, it's a lot of questions going around. Would you, if you were the Bruins, Jesse, try to revisit and consider bringing Dougie Hamilton back? Absolutely not. I mean, let's look at it this way. That's a guy who basically bitched his way out of Boston, kind of like Phil Kessel did. And, I mean, why would you want to bring a guy back who whined and complained and did everything he could to get out of there uh, when, you know, the situation in Calgary is now a lot worse than it is in Boston. I mean, Calgary's under 500, and 
that's a team that you look at it and on paper they should be better than they are because they've got a ton of talent. But I, I just I have no idea like why they're so bad. But I mean Hamilton, he was he showed flashes when he was here, but he never really put it together. And it kind of looks like that's what's going on in Calgary. And I mean to, to not to totally get off topic, but the the whole thing about that trade kind of pissed me off with the flag that Don Sweeney was getting because I mean. The guy didn't want to be here, and he signed almost the same exact deal in Calgary that the Bruins reportedly offered him. I think it was like six years uh, for like $72.5 million, somewhere in that range. And like, if you're not going to sign that deal with the Bruins, but you're going to sign that deal with Calgary, I mean, what does that tell you? Like, he just doesn't want to be here. So why would you want to go back and get a guy who didn't want to be here? Yeah, I agree with that. It's, it's one of those things. He didn't want to be here. If you did and you revisit it, maybe he would. Uh, maybe he's matured. Uh, I don't know. Not quite sure, but I, I wouldn't do it either. I think there's better guys that you could uh, go out and get, or you can just stamp hat and see what happens. But you know, it's not even December yet, so I think December, January, you're going to start to see who these contenders are, who the maybe contenders are, and then who the pretenders are. So uh, you know, you will find out. Uh, you know what team, what this team's made of in the next few weeks, and uh, I, I really don't think you mess with it yet. And that's my honest, honest opinion. And it's definitely not wanting to be somebody that you know already bitched their way out of here, didn't want to be here to begin with because it was tough times. You weren't getting the money you wanted or the playing time you wanted. Well, guess what? Take someone else's money and take it out of this country in Canada or something. So plus, uh, think about what you got to give up too. I don't mean to cut you off, no, you're good. but like he's seen as a top four defenseman and he's still a young kid. So, I mean, you might have to package a guy like Brandon Carlo or Ryan Spooner or a first round pick to get him. And I mean, we talked about this with Jacob Truba. We talked about this with Camp Tower. Those guys are proven NHL defensemen. Dougie Hamilton is, is just okay. I mean, I don't know why you would want to sell any of your future off for a guy who's just okay. And, you know, I hate to keep saying this, but he moaned and groaned his way out of Boston. So, you know, it's just, you know, I, I, I can't see the Bruins being dumb enough to sell off part of their future to go get a guy like that. But then again, I mean, you know, as much praise as we should give Don Sweeney right now for some of the moves he's made, he's made some really dumb moves too. I mean, that Zach Ronaldo trade from Philadelphia was just mind-bogglingly bad. So, I mean, you might have to, you know, stand in front of them with a neon sign that says, don't trade Brandon Carlo, don't trade Ryan Spooner. So, but, I mean, to circle it back, it's just, it's not, it's not a good look. I would keep the team the way it is right now. I don't think, uh, you know, it's not broken, so don't try and fix it. I, I couldn't agree more. You know, we got a few more months to wait and see before the deadline and all that fun stuff. But that's about all I've got for the night. So uh, if you don't object or have anything else to say, Jesse, I think we can uh, we can sign off for this week. Do you, do you agree? Yeah, uh, just real quick. Just uh, we probably aren't going to do a show next week because of Thanksgiving. So uh, happy Thanksgiving to everybody who is listening in the United States. Hope you have a great holiday. Uh, enjoy it, family, friends. You know, have fun. And if you go out on Black Friday, please be careful. There's a ton of crazies out there. I'm probably going to be one of those crazies, but thankfully I don't have to buy anything overly expensive. So I hope that I'll be okay. Yeah, and if you, uh, again, try to uh, get out there, have some fun, enjoy your holidays, be safe, everybody. Again, and especially Wednesday on the biggest drinking night of the year. 
uh, as well. So for for uh, Jesse, I'm Andrew. Don't forget, go to Twitter and follow our page, The Spoked Beat Pod, or go on Facebook and like The Spoked Beat Podcast. You'll find us on there. You can follow us on Twitter and Facebook, whatever you want to. So, again, for Jesse, I'm Andrew, and thanks to John in the studio. Have a great night, everybody. Thanks for listening to the first live version of the Spoke Bee Podcast, and go Bruins. <laughs>